Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. Are we saying that having a large number of choices is a good thing? Or are we saying that actually reducing the choices is a good thing? One kid likes one type of snack and one kid likes another. No, no, everybody likes the Fritos. And then once those are gone, then people will eat the chips. And once those are gone, people eat the Cheetos. And the pretzels are always the last thing to go. They don't know that I've got a cupboard full of dried fruit. But I guess the way they find it out to stop me from cancelling is go, don't think it's about time that you refreshed your preferences. Just as a quick reminder before we start the show, if you want to share the key takeaways and the recommended actions with other people in your team that we talk about on this podcast, then simply go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. Now on with the show. So Colin, I was cleaning out my pantry recently, you know, as one does. Bit of spare time on your hands, have you? Yeah, you know, wild weekend that we had uh, <laughs> to clean out the pantry. And I found all this, and this happens to me every time I, I clean out the pantry. I found all of this stuff, I, I call it... Oh, hold um, on, can we, can we just stop there? Every time? Every time. That you clean- yeah. <laughs> How many times have you cleaned it out? See, this is the point. It happens seldom enough that I can remember every time. <laughs> By every time, I'm talking about like three times. If you do it a lot, then you don't remember every time. <laughs> does that help does that make sense it does yes no it's okay that sets the framework for me anyway so you're clearing out the pantry if you don't mind colin i was in the middle of telling the most interesting story about <laughs> me cleaning out my pantry you can hear the snores of the <laughs> listeners now <laughs> they're, it's fine they're driving it's dangerous for you to reach over and switch to a different podcast don't do it in the name of yeah. safety listen to my dumb story <laughs> i always find these i call them aspirational purchases these aspirational you see this like boxed pad thai recipe like you know i've never made pad thai at home maybe i should so you get, you buy that and you toss it in and then three years later it's eight months expired you find it in there and you go when would i ever why did i so you end up like tossing it I had that the other day because I ordered some spicy pickled onions. As one does. As one. <laughs> and these things blow your bloody head off. Yeah, I'm sure they're going to be there in another four years because they're in vinegar and some type of dynamite substance. They clearly. will survive the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was actually a safe buy because that will never expire. We're going to talk about why we do these things. I can give you another example. Back in the day when Netflix would send you DVDs in the mail, I had the, the multi-movie option. I had, I forget, two or three uh, different movies. And so you'd put it on your list and you'd create this queue. And then weeks later, it would just auto-feed through and, and send you your next 
two movies that were available. And invariably, I would get an aspirational movie, like, you know, some documentary or some real heavy drama that had won a bunch of Oscars. And it would sit on top of my TV and I would burn through the light comedies and mail those back over and over again. Meanwhile, some World War II drama would just sit unwatched. Is it a bit like books? If I look at my bookshelf, there are some books I think, I should read that. And then I don't. <laughs> I'm sure that wouldn't happen with any of the books we've written on the subject. Would <laughs> are either of our books aspirational for anybody? I don't know. <laughs> actually, when you think about it, and just sort of going on to that, I actually find myself doing that with podcasts. So if I look at the list of podcasts I've got, the ones I listen to, five or six maybe, but I've probably got 15 on there. I never get to the 15th. So we're going to talk about, as with everything, there's lots of reasons for why this stuff happens. We're going to talk about one of those reasons, though, for why we end up with these aspirational foods in our pantry, why we end up with diverse movies in our queue that we never watch, or podcasts that we never listen to, or books that we don't read. It's something that's come to be known as the naive diversification bias. That's not a very intuitive label for it. I'm surprised at that because normally academia is so good at naming things. Super, super intuitive names that we come up with for stuff. You notice I tried to move past that before you could critique. <laughs> I tried to steer us around the criticism that I knew was coming. It didn't work. No, it never does. It's fair criticism. The Academy comes up with some really terrible names. And I, I don't think that naive diversification is going to roll off the tongue for anybody. I don't think that's a useful way of thinking about it. This is a bias that happens when we try to forecast our own preferences going forward. So we're making decisions now about some future consumption. If I had found that Pad Thai box meal in the grocery store and said, hmm, I think I'm going to make this tonight, then there wouldn't have been a problem, right? I would have taken it home. I would have had all the ingredients. I would have made it right there. Instead, the problem was that I was forecasting my own preferences for later. Oh, maybe at some point I'll be in the mood for this. Um, same with the books on your shelf. You know, you, you picked those up at some point when you thought, you know, I'm reading a book now, but at some point in the future, I think I would like to read this. And therein lies the problem. So this is, a, this is a forecasting bias. And is that partly because, I mean, some things I, I think to myself, I should do that because it will be good for me. There are various reasons for why this forecasting error comes. Some of it is that. Some of it is like those documentaries that I thought I would watch and then eventually guiltily sent the DVD back unwatched because I just was never in the mood for it. So some of it is this kind of aspirational, like, oh, I should, I should try new things. Some of it, though, is just straight anticipating your need for variety versus experiencing your need for variety. So one part of this bias is that if I make you forecast your own demand, forecast your own preferences, you're going to think, well, in the future, I'll probably be tired of eating the same dinner every night. I'll want something exotic like homemade pad thai. And in reality, as you're making those decisions each day, it turns out that you're just, you're not as interested in variety as you anticipate that you will be. Right. So this is part of the reason then why you tend to eat the same food. Yeah. So my favorite demonstration of this effect, it was by Itamar Simonson, who's 
one of the more influential researchers in this kind of behavioral science area, beyond Kahneman and Tversky and Thaler and uh, Dan Ariely. Simonson discovered a whole bunch of things, especially in the late 80s, early 90s, that have just been tremendously influential. He's, he's a marketing professor at Stanford now. Um, and one of the things, this was in a paper he published in 1990, it was this great experiment where he took a, a group of students who were in his classes. He said, I'm going to give you guys snacks for the next three weeks for class. And in one section, he gave them paper that said, so here's your list of snacks. And I forget, there were like six different candies and pretzels and things. Here's this list of six snacks. Tell me right now what you want for the next week. So what do you want for class today? What do you want for class in a week? And what do you want in a class for a class in two weeks? And then that way I'll, I'll bring those snacks and distribute them to everybody. And then in the other condition, he said, I'm going to give you guys snacks for three weeks. Here's the paper for today. So mark on this what you want. And then I'll have some people get the candy and distribute it to you. And then next week, here's a new paper. So tell me what you want today. And then the third week, here's a new paper. Tell me what you want today. It was a really, really simple design, simple manipulation. Everybody made three candy choices over three weeks. Everybody consumed those candies one per week. The only difference was when you made your decision. So did you make your decision at the point of consumption? So during the time you're going to eat the snack, or did you make it for the forecasting your preferences going forward? And what he found was when people were making a decision for the next three weeks combined, they chose more variety. So when people were choosing each week, they would go for the same bag of M&Ms each week because at the point of consumption, they knew what they wanted and they wanted their favorite candy. I can actually see this playing out in real life. So we have like, 12 friends we only have 12 friends Do you have a limit <laughs> sorry bob i've met somebody new you've got to go i'd like you as a friend but i'm at my limit we've only got so many chairs in our house <laughs> and we go away for a weekend every year sometimes when we're booking in a restaurant if the restaurant's sort of small and there's a number of you turning up obviously that they ask you to choose the food before you go it was my tour to arrange it this year and it drove me around the bloody bend. We turned into the restaurant. We'd asked everybody to put their orders in. And then everybody started to change their bloody orders. And so what was actually happening was naive diversification. If only I had known this then, I could have said, you lot are doing naive diversification. Stop it. See, I, I like what you said there. If only I had known this going in, I thought you were going to say I could have stopped it, but you couldn't have. You said, if only I'd known this going in, I could have used the label for it. <laughs> That's how your life could have been improved. <laughs> I could have told my friends this really non-intuitive label for their action. That would have improved your life. You're welcome, Colin. They would have thought, blimey, he knows something about he knows something about behavioral economics. That's right. In fact, they wouldn't. They would have actually said, what's behavioral economics? <laughs> if only Bob were still a member of our group, he would have really been impressed by that. I'm going to have a test in the future. Friends can only be friends of mine if they know anything about behavioral economics. One thing about really clever experiments is exactly this, where you can see it happening in your own life, where you can imagine yourself in the situation. And for me, intuitively, it made sense. Like if I pictured myself in that situation, I too would say, yeah, probably be in the mood for this later. They found this on data from grocery stores. People who buy eight or 10 single serve yogurts will get a diversity of flavors. Whereas people who buy one yogurt at a time, but who buy the same total number of yogurts over a month, 
much less diversity, right? Because if you're buying one, you're probably going to buy it. You're probably going to eat it in the next day or two. But if you're buying 10, you're going to spread that out over two weeks. You don't know what your preferences are going to be in a week. And so you want to like cover your bases. To show our appreciation, we are pleased to offer you a 50% discount on my book, Unlocking the Hidden Customer Experience, Extraordinary Stories of Remarkable Success. I give a number of examples of how the hidden customer experience has a huge impact upon growth and revenues. Please just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash unlock. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash unlock and use the promotional code podcast 50. That's podcast 50. And in fact, I've just thought of another example that would be interesting to actually find out if they knew of this, but there's a company that I use called Graze, G-R-A-Z-E. And basically what they do is they do little snacks, okay? Oh, yeah, yeah. So like a a mail order service? Yeah. So once a week I get a box turn up and it's got four little snacks in it, okay? But what you do is you go online and you choose all the loads of snacks, as you can well imagine, mainly healthy stuff, which is unusual for me, but healthy stuff where you can choose what you want. The point being that you don't know what's turning up, right? I've now got a cupboard full of dried fruit because <laughs> I thought to myself, oh, it's very important to have some fruit, so I'm going to have I mean, some dried fruit. I don't feel fruit. like dried fruit now. Maybe <laughs> Colin a week from now would be really into yeah. dried fruit. Yeah. yeah, I've been doing it a year. I've got 55 <laughs> boxes of dried fruit. <laughs> Leave it out for some squirrels along with some water that they can dip it in. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. I'm going to have the healthiest squirrels ever. (laughs) That is a practical application of it, isn't it? It's giving the customer some choice, choice and looking into the future. I don't think we've ever had this many personal examples in one podcast. Like you see this also with like snack packs that you buy at a store. So I could buy 12 little individual bags of Fritos or whatever. Or I can get the the multi-pack, which has a couple of Fritos and some chips and some pretzels and some something else. And invariably, if you get if you have a bunch of kids and you get one of these packs, there's a clear preference order. It's not like one kid likes one type of snack and one kid likes another. No, no, everybody likes the Fritos. And then once those are gone, then people will eat the chips. And once those are gone, people eat the Cheetos. And the pretzels are always the last thing to go. Like those are the least preferred. Everybody would have been better off if I had just gotten the multi-pack of, of Fritos. I'd gotten everybody's favorite, but you anticipate, oh, well, somebody's going to want something different. You know, somebody's going to want to try something. They're going to get sick of those things. And empirically, it just, it doesn't happen the way we think about it well. So are we saying, therefore, that it starts to take you down an interesting route, doesn't it? Because are we saying that having a large number of choices is a good thing or are we saying that actually reducing the choices is a good thing and i guess to a certain extent it depends upon when you're and according to this theory when you're looking to make that purchase is that right yeah it's a really good question with a really complicated answer there's been decades of research going into this now at this point are people better off with larger assortments, more choice, or with smaller assortments? It depends on a lot of things. One thing, people want choice. like They want the options. 
through this naive diversification and through other effects that have been studied, people are often not as well off through the increased choices they think that they will be, and it can cause problems. Diversification being naive, diversification being one. And we've done podcasts on, or done a podcast on when there is too much choice, it causes confusion. Yeah, it can cause confusion and demotivation and frustration. And yet, if you ask people, everybody's going to say, yes, I, I would like more choice. It's only after they find themselves in the situation that they're surprised that it's harder than they thought it would be. But that's the difference between, again, the classic stuff, isn't it, of what customers say and what they do. Because if, if I think about it, when I go on Amazon and I buy something on Amazon, I rarely go to the second page. But there must be 54 million bloody pages of people trying to sell me something. And also knowing that Amazon has those 50 million pages of gas grills that you can look at if you hypothetically wanted to, that's part of what drew you to Amazon in the first place. Even though, yeah, you're right, nobody goes past the second page. And again, just carrying on talking about Amazon for a moment. The good thing is that you can then obviously sort by different criteria. So if it's average customer reviews is one I use quite a lot, or verifications of people that have purchased, et cetera, et cetera. But the point I'm trying to make is it feels like there's a lot of choice, but they've also then narrowed it down for you. And they've narrowed it down for your benefit, not for their benefit. In terms of ways of getting around this problem, where people want a lot of choice, but they can be overwhelmed by it, including tools like being able to sort through the assortment or screen the assortment in various ways can try to get you both of those benefits. In, in terms of the, the naive diversification bias that we're talking about today, one of the ways of overcoming that is by having people make choices as close to consumption as possible, as reasonable. Something like these subscription services where you're getting the same thing over and over. So like a, a razor blade subscription service or like set up your laundry detergent to arrive every six weeks or whenever you need it. When you're cleaning out the pantry and stuff like that. Every time you clean out the pantry, that serves as your trigger to get more pad thai, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. <laughs> Those kinds of things where people are going to kind of allow themselves to not bother with having a variety. You know, you're not going to switch out for different kinds of razor blades if you're forecasting out demand. Those work well, and you don't need to worry about it. Where you've got a subscription service where people are anticipating their own demand, that's where it gets trickier. At some point, you're going to have enough dried fruit in your cabinet that you're going to say, I should stop with this subscription service because look at all the, this wasted money that I've got here. And that, that's dangerous for the subscription service. So to the extent that they can have you make choices as close to the point of consumption as possible, or maybe change the way that they ask the question. So like, what is it that you really want now? What would you like to eat right now? It's interesting because let's talk about dried fruit. Who says that these podcasts aren't interesting, eh? We're talking about cleaning pantries and dried fruit. God, <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> this is what the people pay us for, Colin. <laughs> it is. <laughs> they pay us, do they? Wow. So the point I was going to make is the way that Grays deals with that, therefore, I think, is that what they ask you to do is they ask you to reevaluate the things that you like or you love. So clearly they don't know that I've got a cupboard full of dried fruit, but I guess the way they find it out to stop me from canceling is go, 
don't think it's about time that you refreshed your preferences. I guess in the hope that I go, hmm, maybe I, I've got enough dried fruit now, I don't want to get any more dried fruit. Yes, uh, that would absolutely help. If we can decrease the time between the choice and the consumption, then that'll help. People will be better at forecasting what they would want tomorrow rather than what they want two weeks from, from now in terms of forecasting variety. I say that, and I think it's generally true. There are instances of this bias happening over really short time frame. So another famous demonstration of this, these guys set up an experiment when they were handing out candy at Halloween to children. They had three houses, so it was some economist and then his next two neighbors. And they either had the children, they had the same candy selection at all three houses, and they either had the children make their choice of candy at each house. So the person would would come to the door and say, okay, you can have a Snickers bar or a Kit Kat. What do you want? Or (laughs) in the most economist way possible, they said, okay, you're going to need to make your choice now for the next three doors. So you're going to Go with this paper that you've filled out already, this candy form. They'll give you the, the what you wanted at each house. We're talking about the span of a couple of minutes here. And even in that context, they were able to find this bias, where if the child went to the door one at a time, they would choose their favorite candy in each of the sets. If they had to make their choice over the whole set, then they opted for more diversification. They wanted more variety. It actually made me think about, Ryan, going into a restaurant, Okay, so when you go into a restaurant and you sit down and you look at the menu, one of the things that's a problem is, and they suggest, restaurant owners suggest that you don't do this, is that you have a menu that's got lots and lots of stuff on it, yeah, pages of stuff. The suggestion, best practice apparently, is that you have much more limited choices for a number of reasons, but from a customer perspective to not give overwhelm them with choice but I, I was thinking that that therefore is dependent upon consumption isn't it because i'm now going into a restaurant i'm clearly going to eat this now therefore the variances that i get are going to be limited as opposed to i'm now sitting here with 57 things to choose from and actually that's a bit of a challenge yes absolutely so we should expect to see less of this particular bias at restaurant consumption. Now, there are other biases that we can talk about that have come into restaurant choice. But this particular one, because you're making the choice at the point of consumption, what am I in the mood for right now? Then we won't see this. If there were some kind of subscription service where you could like prepay for restaurants, so you go to the same place for lunch at work every day, and so they start offering this, this service where you can pay for a, a month's worth of lunches right now, but you need to tell us what you want for lunch going forward so we can buy the right stuff. Then we would start to see this bias. So just a quick reminder before we get into the recommended actions, Ryan, that people are able to go and get a podcast summary, a written document that talks about the key takeaways from this podcast and from other podcasts that we've done and the recommended actions. And if you just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary, that's beyondphilosophy.com backslash podcast summary. You're going to be able to download it there, keep it for your notes, share it with the team, and just hold it for posterity. We'll even 
try not to put a picture of Ryan's pantry in there after it's been cleaned. We will send you one engraved on stainless steel so that it will last <laughs> through the ages. <laughs> it will. What are the recommended actions? What should people do with this information? So first, just recognizing that this is a bias, that people making choices for themselves for now, for future consumption, will be different from people making choices now for current consumption, that there's this bias towards thinking that they want more variety. And so if you are in a situation where that can come into play, recognize that that's a potential source of dissatisfaction for customers. And so develop strategies around it. As you said, check in with people to make sure that their preferences still align with what they thought that they wanted, offer them chances to send stuff back or, or reevaluate their choices, try to compress that time between when they're making the choice and when they're consuming the choice. So if they can not forecast as much, have them make choices individually instead of as a, as a set, as a collection. You know, another domain that they found this in is when people make investment decisions. A lot of people will say, oh, well, my company offers eight mutual fund options for my retirement. I'll just split the money evenly between them, as opposed to making more deliberate choices based on your goal. So recognize that this is a bias that people have. And if it's going to affect their, their satisfaction, what are the ways you're going to, to mitigate that, to plan around it? Yep, good point. So for me, I think there's a couple of really important things. One is, are people consuming it now? If they are, they're therefore that says to me that the choice doesn't need to be as large. You may want to put a larger choice in there, but with recommendations. And I'm now giving the Amazon example as we were just talking about the fact that you know that Amazon have got a large choice of things, but actually you never go past one or the first or second page based on the criteria you're buying. If you're buying something for future consumption, then it sounds to me like diversifying your offer, it becomes important and building that into the experience. I think the other thing it says to me is that you then need to understand that customers may therefore change their minds and may end up with a cupboard full of dried fruit. And if they do, then how do you find out that they buy all this dried fruit? Because you don't want them to start to be dissatisfied because they made a wrong choice two weeks ago or whatever. I hope that's been of use. We look forward to talking to you next week. We would ask you just one last favour, and that is... If you could do a review of the podcast by just going on to wherever it is that you download your podcast from, that would really help Ryan and I. We love hearing your feedback and we love the great reviews that we've got so far, but a review of the podcast either way would be great. So thank you very much for everybody listening and we look forward to talking to you next week. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.